spiritual maturing is often challenged by the difficulties of life, and developing deep tools for reading scripture is not always an easy thing. Often people feel like they're alone on an island when they are reading scripture, and they wish they could have a deeper understanding of the Bible. In this episode, we're going to discuss some methodologies to avoid in reading scripture, and eventually we're going to have some pointers in obtaining a more dynamic understanding of the Bible. So, welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, but I'm not here alone in Cord Purgatory. With me in our studio are a few others. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. And I'm Pastor Anthony Alegria. And we thank you for joining us today. And again, this whole conversation, a lot of people may take it and say, well, you're trying to beat up on me for the way I read scripture. That's not at all what we're trying to do. We're trying to look at some games that people play when taken to an extreme, they really lead to some misunderstandings of the Bible. And as we discuss these, I just want to remind everyone to make sure that you are supporting your local church. You can find us here at Kingdom of the Logos on Facebook, SoundCloud, iTunes, YouTube, a lot of different places where you can find our videos and also our pictures and things of that nature. If you would like to support us monetarily, you can do that at patreon.com slash kingdom of the logos. But the most important thing that you really need to be doing as far as your interaction with the other Christian community is to be involved in a Christian fellowship. But for today, let's get to this episode and see exactly what we're going to talk about. In this episode, we're going to be discussing some methods for reading scripture, and we're going to start by discussing some not so good methods for reading scripture. We're going to discuss games that people play with scripture that can be roadblocks preventing a deeper understanding. Thus, you'll have to bear with us for a little while to get to the more positive side of things because first we're going to look at these games. And we have six different games that people play when misinterpreting scripture. Now, those of us here at Kingdom of the Logos did not actually originate this list. The majority of this list was taken from the book by Perry B. Yoder, which is titled Towards Understanding the Bible. This book is not in publication anymore, but it is a very good book if you're able to find a copy of it. And in it, it talks about six games, there are five games that people play. We added a sixth one that take people down a place where they really can't understand Scripture. And for those that hold the Bible dear and people who are sincere, it's rare that they actually purposefully misinterpret the Bible. People who are acting in good faith a lot of times really think they are doing their best. But yet roadblocks can still come for the best of us. Sincere people are not trying to deliberately misinterpret scripture, and this episode is not meant to be an assault on anyone in the audience or to make you feel like you aren't reading the Bible in the right way. Because all of us, and we'll probably point this out a few times today, we're all guilty of playing aspects of these games at some point in time. Anthony? Well, and it should be noted that um, understanding can be pretty complicated, but it's not salvation. Yeah, and there are discrepancies in interpretation when people use different ground rules when they come to the Bible. And the problem with many of these games is that one game is played at the cost of others. And people do this at the cost of having good rules for reading Scripture. And as Anthony said, salvation is not dependent on one's ability to interpret Scripture. One does not have to be a scholar to be saved. But let's get into this. I think you'll enjoy it. And what we're going to do for this is Anthony is going to announce a game, and then we will discuss it. The titles of these games, they get a little bit confusing at first, but bear with us. Spend some investigation of your own. Let your mind be stirred a bit, and I think you'll find that there's some really good content in the description of these games. And again, the problem is not so much with the individual elements of these games, such as actually trying to understand what a word literally means or another problem of realizing that you may have an opinion of Scripture. The problem is whenever these things get taken too far. And we're trying to stimulate your mind so that we can have a deeper understanding of Scripture. 
Also, as we watch this video and as we go through it, there are some comedy parody clips we have clipped in here that we've done ourselves. And because we don't want to be put in Facebook jail, and <laughs> Facebook does that, we are live right now, but some of these clips, well, they're done in advance and we have a studio here and the studio software is running them in. But we are live here in the studio right now. But who wants to hear all these disclaimers? Let's get to the games. <laughs> so Anthony, what is the first game that we have? The author game. So the author game is a game played where a reader thinks the meaning of scripture is completely determined by the reader and that scripture has no objective truth separate from the reader. You are the author of your faith. I come in here and see you all with your Bibles. You read it one way, you read it another. But we all come together and we're moved. You can feel the movement. And that's just wonderful. For many, Scripture is something that is passive and the reader is the force that gives meaning to the text. Someone might say, I found this to be meaningful or this was inspiring to me and therefore it, it has the most importance or truth. Uh, there is a large emphasis on the pronouns I and me when interpreting scripture. The author game has people thinking about scripture backwards, that the truth in scripture depends on how they understand it or feel about it. This is contrary to the notion that truth resides within scripture and also around scripture and in the world behind it. Up next we have the opinion game. Alright, the opinion game is the game played with scripture where the reader has a personal conviction that their opinion or their understanding of scripture is correct. And all others must be wrong since they feel sincerely convicted about their own opinion. Now, when it comes to interpreting scripture, I've noticed that some of you interpret it this way and some of you others, like Brother Joe over here, interpret it another. But I'm here to tell you that I, I am interpreting it the right way. All right, so the opinion game and the author game are very similar, and both of them use a lot of I and me pronouns. But they're a little bit different. The author game looks at scripture and says, well, everybody has their different opinion, and that's beautiful, that's wonderful. Whereas the opinion game says, people may have different opinions on it, but I am convicted that my way is right. And because of that, I am sure that I am right. And the opinion game is oftentimes a little hostile to other things, but again, it's rooted in something which has sincere conviction. This sometimes may be coupled with things like the Holy Spirit will show me that I am right or I believe this to be so. And this game, it doesn't allow any objection to an individual's opinion. Now, in both of these cases, when they are taken really too far, the I and me pronouns, which again, we as readers, we are real people interacting with scripture. Well, things can get out of hand. Let's go on to the next game. The caveman game. The caveman game is played when people pick verses to prove their point and then use that particular verse or passage or scripture as a club to beat people with. It says here in Ephesians 25 and verse 22, Wives, be subject to your husbands as you are to the Lord. And I hear amen. Oh, but preacher, what about that there verse that's in... Verse 21 about being subject. Hey, well, I mean verse 22. But no, subject to one or not. I don't, I said verse 22. Wives be subject to your husbands. Oh. Don't worry about verse 21 about being subject to one another. I don't want to hear it. 
Uh, now to uh, take a little bit of a tangent, I'm not quite sure if, if I got picked to read this one on purpose or if it just ended up that way. Um, but anyway, I think we could all say that, Amanda. <laughs> right. Um, but yes, um, the caveman game often uses scripture at the expense of, of other passages or picks passages at the expense of others. But anyways, this is a game where scripture is used to prove a point. Um, and it's more than just understanding uh, good theology or, or orthodoxy, but it is to prove my point or our point or whatever. In the caveman game, scripture is used as a club to beat back opposing opinions, ideas, or interpretations. And another note, these are parody videos. This is not anyone here at Kingdom of the Logos, though you may see some similar faces. You'll notice the hair is different. And the <laughs> temperament and voices are also quite a bit different. These are parody videos, so don't anybody be taking them out of context. <laughs> Anyways, Anthony, what's the next game? The Born Again Game. Now, the Born Again Game is the game where people elevate the moment of salvation and spiritual infancy to being the highest goal in the life of the Christian. And in this game, people are encouraged not to grow, but instead to stay in that moment of spiritual infancy. Community. We have come together today for awaken. What's that? You say you're already awake? You want to be walking with Christ? No, no, no. We're in the awakening stage. What? Spiritual maturity? No, no, no. You see, we all are being awakened in Christ together. We don't, no, no spiritual maturity. What's that? Serious questions of the Bible? No, no. We are all awakened together. Awakened. All right. Now, again, just for reiteration, we, the names for these actually come from this book. But the Born Again game is a game where the entry-level moment of the Christian walk is treated as the ultimate goal. Scripture is never really brought to a place of maturity, and it's just kind of treated as something which is milk for an infant. And if, whether you're a new Christian or a long-term Christian, you're kind of put in a worldview where you never should grow out of that early moment. Scripture is treated as something which needs no maturity, and a new Christian has as much interpreting power as does a mature Christian. And whether you're a new Christian, you're one who has lived your life in the faith, Scripture is something which doesn't take any sort of dynamic role. It doesn't have deep answers to deep questions in life. It's always just treated as milk for infants. And everyone should aspire for this level of really infantile simplicity. The trouble with the born-again mentality comes when people encounter difficult texts and difficult moments in life, and they haven't elevated Scripture to a place of seriousness where it can address some of the, the difficult questions in life. The literal on. game. Yes, the next is the literal game. <laughs> the little game is the game where a reader thinks they're interpreting scripture with full understanding, and this game disregards the dynamic nature of scripture and the history behind the text. Psalm 115.6 says, They have ears, but do not see. Noses, but do not smell. Now I've got my little friend here, the skunk. I want everyone to come on up, and we're going to test this morning. We are going to see who is right and who is not. The literal game is the game played when a believer conflates their idea of what the text is literally saying with the truth that is being revealed by and through scripture. A person may legitimately believe that they are reading the words of scripture as is literally written, but in fact they are actually reading them as they perceive them to be. The literal game has a misunderstanding of language and also history and culture and how dynamic both language and scripture are. The literal game makes arguments such as, I take the Bible literally, therefore I know for sure 
that I uh, what I believe is right. The literal game tends to lean towards picking and choosing scripture to justify certain claims. The hidden knowledge game. The hidden knowledge game is the game where people are of a special group and they have special and exclusive insight into scripture. This group, they do not share their knowledge and others may not be allowed into the secret circle or in rare cases you may have to jump through certain hoops to get into the secret circle. Our local anchorite Athanasius is in the walls with us this morning and he has a message concerning scripture. Now I'm the only one who can interpret this, but I can also say that I will not be revealing it to all. Only a few will this be shared with. All right, this is the one game that we added to the list. All the other five, they came from the Towards Understanding the Bible by Yoder, but we wanted to add this one in there because it is something which takes on different forms throughout the year or throughout the history of the people of God. This is the game that is played when people think that some out there have hidden knowledge that is only available to an elite few. The hallmark of this game is that some people have an exclusive access to scripture that is fundamentally unavailable to anyone else. The hidden knowledge game is played whenever people want to say that some people are special and they have access to scripture that is unique from everyone else. And you cannot access scripture as a lay person or a believer or even a minister of a different group unless you have special permission from some gatekeeper. Now the old Gnostic heresies were a lot like this and there was more like a cult that said we have some special insight and you cannot have it. You can't be a part of us. Sometimes these cults would say you can go through some ritual to get here but many times they just said nope some of us are special and we can read scripture in a way that none of you can. All right, well, that's the games that people play with Scripture. And if anyone has thoughts, questions, or comments about those, feel free to send them to us. But let's go to a little bit of a different conversation on how to read Scripture in a good and meaningful way. All right, so one of our, our first um, kind of points um, on how to read Scripture is to read Scripture with goals. And this could also be phrased as reading with purpose or purposefully reading Scripture. Um, and uh, we here at, at the studio, we're all ministers, and so ministers may read for study, but they also should read for personal growth. They read in preparation for sermons and for lessons, uh, but there is great purpose put uh, behind how we read. And that is not just for ministers, but for all Christians, that having a goal in mind um, can be very helpful in your reading of scripture. Yeah, having a goal for reading scripture is really important. And especially a lot of people, if you're part of a church where they do sermon series and they look at one particular text, some might say, well, you know, I read the material necessary for Sunday school or I read what the preacher was talking about on Sunday and they kind of think, well, that's it. Scripture should be something where you actually have goals in mind. Maybe you want to read through the Bible in a year. I know there are people that want to do that. There are people who say, I want to take a chronological look at the Bible. Sometimes people say, well, I want to read wisdom literature, and they go through texts which are more oriented through wisdom. And some people say, well, I want to compare the four Gospels and maybe do that in a methodol or a Methodical. Yeah, they want to have a methodical way of doing that. Forgive us all sorts of weird <laughs> linguistic issues we've been having today. But um, when you come to Scripture, you should have goals in mind. Have, have a planner. And it needs to be something separate than what is just going on in the broader church realm. Again, pastors have a big problem with this where they say, well, you know, I read the Bible when I'm getting ready for, for Sunday. But they don't actually have any goals in mind personally. And I think that's what Pastor Amanda is trying to tell us is that mm -hmm. you should actually come to it with, with goals in mind. 
Yeah, and I think it can kind of flip the other way too. Sometimes we get so obsessed with the goals, um, it, it can often, um, and it depends on your personality. Like if you're a very goal-oriented person, sometimes the goals override the purpose or the journey. Um, but this is really just saying, so it's not saying like, you know, if you if you have a goal of reading through scripture in a year and you have this plan and you missed a day, like it did not all fall apart. Don't don't feel panicky about it. But sometimes, and this will move into our second point about reading scripture as a discipline. There will come times where we don't feel like it. We're tired. We're exhausted. Um, life's been chaotic, and we don't want to sit down and read. And by having a goal, it can help give us the motivation and the discipline. Uh, to actually read it. And, and we may find that in doing that, especially when we don't feel like it, we, we might learn something. Um, and so that's what, um, yes, Pastor Dylan. Well, when you say reading it as a discipline, I think we need to emphasize that this really is a discipline. It takes some work. And that means, you know, you're not just reading it because you want to, to make another lap. Say you find a text that is difficult. Um, say you're reading through something like Haggai or Zechariah. Zechariah is one of my favorite books in the Old Testament. But I also realize that even as much as I love the book, I can't read through it very quickly. Like it gets really crazy and you get stuff in the New Testament that's like this. A lot of people really like Revelation. But again, some of these books you've kind of just got to read as a discipline, which means if it gets too confusing or the, the images get too bizarre, well, maybe you just read a few lines and you read those same few words over and over again to kind of let it sink in. You may read something very different depending on where it's at in Scripture. But that's what I was just going to throw in there about it being a discipline. Yes, and, and again, this is not something, um, often we associate disciplines with, with um, kind of terrible things like exercising and eating a good diet. Um, they are not bad things, but often they are not fun things. And so sometimes when we hear that word discipline, we're like, oh, that doesn't sound good. Um, but scripture, so scripture's not meant to, and reading scripture's not meant to be miserable. But our point is that even when it becomes difficult to, and, and like Pastor Dylan said, when we read certain passages, like I know um, I tried to read, or I, I read through scripture in a year once, um, and I got stuck on Leviticus forever because that book, I don't know why it, it's a bunch of rules and it's weird rules and, and they're very, some of them are very culturally conditioned and some of them are quite universal, but it, it's a lot to process. And like you have, and either in order to read scripture in a year, I think you have to read like two or three chapters a day. And so reading two or three chapters of Leviticus is by no means uh, exciting reading. <laughs> it's not like reading a gospel or Genesis or something like that. But anyways, but as a discipline, I could learn something from it, even those difficult passages. So yeah, it's something we work at. It's something that we do and we find that we become better Christians, better people um, in doing that, the kind of the hard work and the exercising, the dieting of it. Of our spiritual life. For sure. And another pointer, and going on to point, the third one we've got here, is actually a good study Bible is a good thing to have. A good study Bible can go a long way, but you've got to remember that even the best commentaries are still commentaries. And we should never confuse a commentary with actually scripture itself. And by that, I mean, don't give too much authority to a commentary because the writer in a commentary may have been playing one of the games that we mentioned earlier in this episode. Somebody may have been playing the literal game when they shouldn't have. Somebody may have been playing the opinion game when they shouldn't have. Maybe they were playing the author game. They could have been playing any of these ideas. A lot of times people who are really firm in a particular ideology, they'll play the caveman game with scripture and they'll do this in commentaries to kind of beat away any opposing ideas. And for many people, even if they don't have a study Bible, if there's some notes or something in their Bible that's not the scripture itself, but maybe it's a footnote, maybe it is a, a, a commentary that's there, maybe it's one of those devotional Bibles where you can write stuff in, they will take the notes that are in the side, whether written by 
as somebody that handed you the book or they'll take it from one of the people who helped publish it and they'll give it the same authority as the scripture itself. So don't be hesitant to look at different commentaries and remember that commentaries, they are not scripture themselves. Don't be hesitant to look at different translations and don't raise things which are not scripture to the point of scripture. It's just an important thing to keep in mind. And this is where then also, this again bleeds very well into our next point about reading scripture within its larger framework. And the first framework, larger framework, is reading it within the framework of, of the community of believers. And this is great because even in reading scripture by itself or even reading commentaries, often we can get confused and, and we're reading all these different thoughts and ideas and everyone has their own interpretation of a maybe a particular passage. And this is why we come to the body of Christ and we can talk it out and we can engage in one with one another. And there may be parts of scriptural passages that we might not come to a agreement on, People might have different opinions on it, and however, the, those opinions may still be contained within the possibility or the plausibility of Scripture. Um, we may come to a very certain point and be like, yeah, that other idea is definitely outside the scope of, of the Scripture. But this, again, maturity can happen through this conversation or becoming mature can, can happen through these conversations. And so as we read scripture, we aren't an island to ourselves, uh, that we do have a, a family of God, a, a group of believers, a community that can help us really engage in that. And again, we can't fall into these other traps like the, the hidden knowledge trap or the opinion trap and kind of say, okay, well, because my community says this and I know for sure. Uh, that's not what we're saying, but in having other voices, other people to kind of bounce ideas off of and hear from, uh, we can find, um, a lot of help and aid in growing in our Christian walk. Yeah, and whenever we read Scripture, also be reading it in the larger context of Scripture as a whole. And I know that's a very important thing, yes. especially not just in the, the broader context of the community of believers, but look at it in its entirety. Again, there are a lot of dynamic places that we have throughout Scripture and, and a lot of different roles served by different forms of text, and we'll get to all that here in a moment. Yeah, and I think this is also, this is kind of, we've made fun of this. If you uh, heard in one of the games, Pastor Mike was parodying, and he, he mentioned the one scripture about wives submitting to your husbands, and, and, and someone kind of said, well, what about the verse before it that says we should submit to one another in love? And a lot of these debates, not all debates, but a lot of these debates we have within Christianity could be solved by just doing some good study and listening and hearing and reading scripture in its entirety, both its uh, literal context, so that would be within its chapters, its verses, its books, but also its uh, historical context, its linguistical context. I think I said that word wrong, but anyways, um, but looking at scripture, and it's not to say, now we can't go too far in a different game and saying it's all conditional, it's all just whatever you feel like, because it's, you know, and we kind of excuse away all the passages we don't like because yeah, yeah. we can just put it in a larger framework. But we are still called for critical study and critical study involves us looking at a bigger picture. And and I think anytime we try to reduce scripture, like we can say the, the gospel is God is love or God is king, God is ruler. And, and that's okay. But if we try to reduce scripture so much so just so we can use it for our own benefit, we miss out at, again, the dynamic. And what we mean by dynamic is really blessing. It's life-giving. It's yeah. it's moving. It's exciting. And if we reduce it down to something, um, or if we over-reduce it, then we will we'll miss out on, on the beauty of Scripture. And that brings us to our next point, that Scripture is, in fact, dynamic. A lot of times people look at the Bible and they say, well, it's kind of broken into two segments. You've got the New Testament and the Old Testament. But really, there's a lot of variety of writing styles within Scripture, and you've got to realize that it is something that is very dynamic. 
there's a lot of different areas of scripture. You would, and most people know this, even if they don't necessarily confess it. Many people would recognize that something like the gospel is very different than say something like the, the book of Corinthians, the letter to the, the church there in Corinth. They would look at something like those letters and they would say, well, this is a very different writing style than say a given chapter out of the gospel of Mark. You would look at the Old Testament and you would see that a chapter that has a genealogy is very different than a, a psalm or a proverb. Again, one of the early stories in Genesis is going to read very different than something like the book of Zechariah. You will find there's a whole lot of different avenues in scripture and they come out of a lot of different settings. And one should realize that scripture is dynamic. You do have things which are wisdom literature. You have things which are doing more of a chronicle work, looking at the, the kings. You have works that come from more of the priestly tradition, and they all come together with a very beautiful goal. You look in the New Testament, you find, again, some things which are recording the gospel there, and then others which are more apocalyptic. And they all come together revealing salvation and God to us. So we have to realize that scripture is dynamic. There is a world behind the text. There's a world behind the author. Many times we kind of fall into a trap where it seems like scripture has always been in our lives, so we think it's kind of always been there. But even the later portions of scripture, the New Testament, come a long time after some of the older portions of the Old Testament. And there is a big world behind all of scripture. And we should be willing to examine that world and let it shape our views and understand more about who we are. And as we talk about kind of the world behind the text and the world within the text and different things about it, we also move to the world in front of, or yeah, in front of the text. And that's where we find ourselves. And as we talked about in the opinion game or the author game, uh, we don't want to go so far as to say that we give scripture meaning, but we do have a place to play, a, a place to, to be within the life of scripture because it is dynamic that, that the words written thousands of years ago still have something to say to us here and now. And so we have to understand, though, then, because it was written thousands of years ago, there is a gap between our understanding and the presuppositions that we have when we come to Scripture and the presuppositions of either the author or the editor or the translator of the passage. And so we have to ensure that we are looking into those things and then also naming our own um, our, our ideas in our context and how that those two or all those elements really interact. Yeah, normally when we speak, and even right now, as we're doing what is essentially a video podcast, you know, I'm here. Someone can send me a, a comment, a question. We get those from time to time. You know, it's something where we can actually interact with our audience. And even as I'm talking to someone else here in the studio, you know, we, we talk in such a way where we kind of have a general idea of what our audience is like. And a speaker or a writer, you know, they'll use the language. I'm not coming here to speak French because when I can't speak French, <laughs> and also because I know it wouldn't be very helpful to those on the other end. Scripture, it was written in a time where languages Greek and Hebrew were largely important to the people around them, and they were the languages that many of them spoke, though some Aramaic comes in there too, but that's another combination, <laughs> another conversation for another day. That's how you know we're live. The messing up of words is how you know that we really are live. So take that, Facebook. Can't put us in Facebook jail for that one. <laughs> um, so we are live. Uh, but context is very important when it comes to Scripture. Different parts of Scripture come from different eras, and we're blessed by this. A lot of times people want to say, well, you know, the Bible has just been edited to this one fact, but really it hasn't. And when you read Scripture, you will find that it very clearly has come from different eras in the history of the people of God, and that's actually a really beautiful thing. The fact that it hasn't been edited so much gives it a lot of integrity because there's so much risk in somebody coming in, you know, an editor, 
2,000 years ago can misinterpret a text just as one can today. Somebody could come in and play the caveman game and say, well, you know, I really think God the Father is the demiurge, and I'm going to do away with the Old Testament, and I'm only going to pick certain books of what will be the New Testament and say only those I'm going to take words out that reference God the Father, and I'm just going to pick and choose what I like in the New Testament. And then you get Marcion of Sinope, great villain of church history. But that's what happens when you let the risk of editing go too far. And we, as the church, we should appreciate knowing that, well, Scripture is dynamic and the history of it is important, and we can be blessed by learning tools to understand just how dynamic it is. All right, so what is the next thing we're going to be talking about, Amanda? Um, all right, and so this is where, again, we could go into contemplating um, what you understand the Word of God to be. And this is, is a very um, interesting element of it in the sense that... Um, yeah, whenever you hear the Word of God, a lot of people think a lot of different things. And, and you'll find this if you just go and, and get a handful of, script, of Christians and you ask them, what is the Word of God? You'll get different answers. And even for people who are well-trained theologically, the kind of knee-jerk reaction is to say, well, the Bible... <laughs> but realistically, even by scriptures on proclamation, the word of God, the logos, and that's where our name comes from, kingdom of the logos, or kingdom of the word, to put it more in English. The word of God that was used to speak creation into place, you know, you get that in Genesis, but also in the gospel of John, the word of God, it becomes flesh. You know, Jesus Christ is the word of God incarnate. Scripture itself informs us that the word of God is not limited to scripture that the Bible is a tool for revealing the Word of God, but the Word of God it is not something which is limited to any form of human language. So when we are understanding Scripture and we want to develop a good understanding of Scripture, we should have a good understanding of what it means to be embracing the Word of God or to be pursuing the Word of God, because it is a magnificent thing, though it is a mysterious thing. The language of God and the Word of God has a mysterious perfection about it that is kind of beyond human language. It's not subject to the fallibility of human language or the mishaps that we have while trying to speak live to you on Facebook. <laughs> but one should make sure that when they come to Scripture that they don't think that all of the Word of God is just simply Scripture. Again, Scripture, it reveals the Word of God to us, but the Word of God is bigger than that. We should not hold Scripture to a standard that well, Scripture doesn't even hold itself to. And I think that's really where we're going next. Yeah, and, and I think this is why um, in the Wesleyan tradition we have other elements that help us speak to it. And although we do have kind of a special place with uh, or Scripture holds a special place, and when I say Scripture I mean uh, the canonical books of the Old and New Testament, basically the ones that church, our early church fathers and mothers decided this is our canon, this is our Scripture, basically this is our ruler by which we judge um, lots of other things, um, that even beyond scripture, we talk about things like tr Christian tradition, Christian experience, and Christian reason. Um, that there are these other elements that really speak to us. And although, again, scripture has that special place, that we also ultimately hand things over to, to the divine revelation, to who God is. And ultimately, God alone dictates what is right and what is wrong. Um, and though God gives us because we are created in God's image, the ability to judge and to discern, uh, that we we give God alone that task of ultimately pronouncing what is good and right. And so we can use scripture, definitely. And, and like we said, it is a tool and it is a good tool, um, but we should never take scripture to do something that 
Scripture itself reveals itself to be subject to who God is. Yeah. And so if we ever try to make Scripture God, we, we've actually gone against Scripture, yeah. um, which is a, a fun game to play um, with idolatry. Um, but that's what we find out. That's the basis of idolatry, really the basis of sin, is when we decide, we get to decide what's right and wrong. And ultimately find that, that when we put our faith in those kinds of things, they will fail us. And so if Scripture is elevated to an element that it cannot be held to, it will fail us. However, yeah. if we treat Scripture as it is, as one of the ways in which God reveals God's self, uh, then we will find it will be, um, as to borrow language from our, ma- our manual, it will it is inerrantly revealing um, all things pertaining to our salvation. Absolutely. And finally, we just remember that Scripture is a tool, but it's not the fourth person of the <laughs> triune God. Again, it is a triune God, not a... Um, what is the word you like to use, Anthony? The tetranity. Tetranity. Um, <laughs> yeah, not, the fornity. Yeah, and yeah, the. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, worse. yeah. Anthony okay. will be. We'll get the club out on him for that afterwards. Um, anyways, but yeah, well, it's not the. Is, it's it's not the the fourth person of the the Godhead. It we we worship and we we are blessed by a triune God. That is where life comes from. And again, don't elevate Scripture to a place that it doesn't even hold itself to. There are a lot of people who do this. Um, Again, sometimes it's done in good faith. Sometimes it it does take on a different form. But anyways, that's where we're going to wrap this up. I hope this conversation was useful to you. And again, we're not here to beat anybody up. If you're playing one of these games, we've all played them to an extent. And it's something which which comes in the walk of Christianity. But we grow, we mature. The process of maturation, it is one which is very important. We don't want to stay at those entry-level moments. We want to grow and develop. And that's where we're going to wrap things up. Any final thoughts, questions, comments from anybody here in the studio? We all good? Yep. All right. Well, with that, God love you and have a blessed day.